BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Well, happy weekend, everybody. It is Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you. The Bauer and Rose show right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. The podcast you can get and should get and must get wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure and hit the subscribe button. Uh, Give us a five-star rating. And uh, if you're on Apple, uh, there's a button. I just figured this out, Gary. Uh, And the only reason I'll say this, it'll embarrass me, but it won't embarrass you because you won't won't even know what I'm talking about. You can actually uh, download without having to go there. It automatically loads it on. So if you've Are you serious? Yeah. What will they think of next? I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sitting here. You know, I, um, I, I do have to say this as we start the show. Obviously, there's a lot to get to. Um, I'm looking uh, out my window, my rented window, I might add, at a ferocious Mediterranean sea. It looks like we're going to have big storms here, uh, not just uh, uh, literally or metaphorically, but also uh, militarily. But I, I did want to mention uh, on the air. So where are you? You're, you in Haifa? Or? No, I'm, I'm in a uh, little north of Tel Aviv in a town called Herzliya which is um, ah, a nice place, yes. I guess, except when it's stormy. Uh, but I had, and I'm just doing this to rub it into Bauer, um, I'm 61 years old, and uh, this morning, for the very first time in my life, I actually had dental work done. I have never had a cavity, and I still don't, by the way. I just want to get it out there. I still do not have a cavity, but I had some, man, he was digging a, digging, digging away today, um, and... Uh, I, you know, I feel for you, Bauer. It's it's no fun. I had some big abscess and whatever. So uh, are we are we really going to devote this show to comparing dental procedures? You win. Because, uh, you win. I, I I had four impacted wisdom teeth growing up, and uh, well, that uh, you're uh, right. I so did I. So I forget about yeah, that. I forgot about that. Right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, but I'm glad people will will you know will gladly sit here while you describe for us no, no, what no. it was like to have an abscess dealt, <laughs> dealt with. Or we could talk about the abscess of we have in the middle of uh, our country no at kidding. the White House no called kidding. the Biden administration. No kidding. The contempt, I think, shown yet. I mean, we can go so many ways here. We can start with Hunter Biden. The contempt uh, he showed to uh, the House committee yesterday, a committee discussing uh, his cont- it was a, uh, a hearing discussing what to do with his contempt citation. He's walking around with his banker, who's also uh, under contempt by Congress. Uh, he's the one who bought all the art, this guy Morris. He shows up. He's another target of the committee. At one point, Gary, do you think Democrats are going to start to ask themselves uh, when the costs are just too high to keep protecting this this low rent two bit Biden corruption. So, I mean, how much institutional authority do you think they're prepared to trade away to protect such cheap and obvious corruption? These guys are low rent losers. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is, uh, I, it, 
you you run out of adjectives after a while, Tom. And I'm not so sure. I I don't uh, I don't feel as strongly that at some point they will figure out uh, that that you know they're suffering damage to uh, the powers of Congress, the their party's suffering damages. I you, you know I keep breaking it back to what what does the average member of that party how do they think compared to how we think and to me the evidence is overwhelming that what they're thinking about is this is the final battle this is armageddon this is the final battle over who is going to take control of america and they hate us they hate us with every fiber of their being they they don't want to they, they don't want to just beat us in elections and I, and you know people go well you're talking about how they feel about trump well they feel that way about trump but they feel that way about the you know 75 80 million people that have voted for him and will vote for him again they they want us destroyed they they they're already showing they would love to put us all in jail they they want to ruin him they want to make it impossible that he could never uh, conduct business again, not only in New York City, anywhere in the world. They want anything that had Trump on the outside of it to be in ruins. They're willing to throw Catholics into jail who protest for the pro-life cause. So they, they go into war with the thought of, yeah, that's an inconvenience, but we're in the final stages of the war. We'll clean up later. Right, um, right. No, I, our side, I think, when you read or follow the reporting coming from conservative websites or Fox News, it's it focuses on the legal aspects of all these numerous uh, cases. Um, this has nothing to do with a rule of law. It has to do with a rule of power. We don't yet recognize, I don't think, how prepared, and you've just illuminated it, how prepared our opponents are to do whatever it takes for them to keep power by wiping out Trump, whether it's uh, uh, upholding these outrageous decisions by state Supreme Courts and state uh, election officials, secretaries of state in the various states to throw Trump off the ballot, to, if necessary, locking him up and putting him in jail. We face this totally corrupt ideology, which I think has been manifestly exposed since the Hamas invasions that's committed to using every lever of power at their disposal. And don't forget, Gary, you know this, they have lots of levers at their disposal, all the levers, in fact. They've got the bureaucracy. They have law enforcement. They have the justice system, the DOJ, the media, the corporate world, academia. And, of course, the media yesterday spun the whole Hunter clown show as a win for Hunter. I saw Newt Gingrich. We damn well better have a strategy for the day when these, uh, in, in Washington, when this radical judge in a city that votes 19 to 1 for Joe Biden over a Donald Trump, together with a radical U.S. attorney in the name of uh, Jack Smith, uh, working to actively uh, rig, fix, destroy this election. Uh, <laughs> And Senate Republicans, I mean, I'm in Israel, so I'm not as uh, closely connected as you are. Senate Republicans, it appears to me, don't yet get it. That's why they're sitting down with Joe Biden right now on 
a, a border deal, a border deal that everyone knows will be a sham and a fraud. This, this, uh, uh, these people that be worse than no deal at all, Tom, because all we'll do is speed up the processing of more illegals to enter the country. But here's the thing. They are so desperate both the establishment wings of the Democrat Party, certainly, and our own establishment wing, to get this off the to get the border disaster off the front pages. I could see, I could see a deal being done on border security, and of course, we don't need a deal on border security. Biden has all the tools right now. If he wanted to secure our border, he doesn't need us. But the establishments of both parties want the border to stay open, so. Neither side wants this to remain an issue in the upcoming election. So if they do some kind of phony deal, uh, Biden is still going to be able to parole. That's the word they're using now. Parole the 8 to 12 million illegals that have entered the United States since Joe Biden took office. Their plan is clear. Senator Chris Murphy, who's the uh, uh, chairman of that committee, all but said it last Sunday. He all but said it that. The purpose of a deal with Republicans is to make it easier to process more illegals. That's the Democrat policy. That's their proposal, to make it easier for the illegals to be processed once they get here. Why are we even engaged in discussions with them on this? No, I say the the question is to answer it, Tom, because we are the stupid party and we will not allow anybody to take that moniker away from us. We are proud of it. We're the party that works to conserve whatever the last Democrat leftist administration managed to get through. We then, as conservatives, we're now for the new status quo. We are the surrender party. We're the party that enjoys, that, that, that feels like it can't have its second life that is when you're a congressman or a senator and you go on then to become a lobbyist or on the board of big corporations, you can't get those things if you're going to be with the great unwashed that actually give you the power by voting Republican. The only way you can get those uh, those uh, rewards later is if you wink, wink, and show that you're you're going to play the game the way the game is supposed to be played, and in the process, everything that made America unique made us different. Every right we have, every right that we thought we have, it's just it's a it's day after day after day of erosion, and our party is still sitting around with their Linus blankets, sucking on their thumbs. Wondering, well, I thought I was going to be a lobbyist for General Dynamics. Is this going to hurt my chances? You know, uh, I need Tom. I, I don't think they have any. I maybe they don't care. I, the, j- the Republican Party, uh, oddly, could, with a populist conservative message, become the governing party of the United States for the next 10, 15 years. That is still possible. Or they could very easily in the next 12 to 24 months cease to be a viable political party in the United States. Uh, there's, there's because a- if Trump goes down, if he gets thrown in jail, or if there's some other event 
uh, we, there, there's a lot of different scenarios I can come up with. If they can come up with a way to deny him the nomination, um, it, it, you know, it's over. It is over. In a three-party race, Republicans will come in third. To hear Chris Christie this week, I, I've got to I got to restrain myself. Or don't 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 I'll restrain yourself. It's, sa- it's satellite radio. You can just well, all I, I, bower I bower. Appropriate things about his appetites, but uh, uh, to see Chris Christie claim that he had to challenge Trump in the primaries because. Somebody had to stop him like he woke up and discovered that there was a shortage of powerful forces in America trying to stop the first real populist conservative from getting a second term. That Chris Christie was the only damn standing in the way of the deluge to our democracy. You've got every powerful force in America arrayed against Trump, but it's Chris Christie that has to do it. What a joke, Tom. And he and who's he been the favorite of? The Wall Street wing of the party. And he's he still spent. He, that's, go ahead. Yeah. No, I, 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 I was just going to say there's a huge and you're alluding to it um, rather indelicately, but I think correctly. There's a huge risk of underestimating what can happen here. When think think about it, when faced with the risk of losing everything they believe in, whether it's true or not, that's what they think. All this Hitler rhetoric, it's over the top for you and me. It's dangerous. It's it's it is assassination prep in my view. But they actually believe it. So when you are faced with a risk that you have convinced yourself, is that real? Uh, And that's what Trump represents to them. Uh, criminals, you know, staying in jail, a border being safe, city streets being a border being secured, city streets being safe, uh, domestic energy production sufficient to meet all of our domestic needs. The ultimate response that they're going to use, they'll use the DOJ to the fullest and final extent they can think of to literally lock him up. I mean, if any of these 190, any one of these 91 counts goes south, and obviously uh, the um, uh, Atlanta District Attorney, uh, very large Fannie Willis, uh, that case is obviously imploding. All you need is one conviction, and they'll lock him up. And the problem, as I you know, indicated, is that we're having these discussions as though this is, uh, you know, we're... we're we're trying to divine Just the finer point. Exactly. Right. And it's, you know, it's simply the legal arcania of the cases. What has nothing to do with law and has everything to do with power. What was, um, had the great honor to spend some time earlier in the week with uh, uh, the prime minister of Israel, uh, who had a great comment about Will Durant, the great historian. Um, and I mentioned that I sent him, I sent you, you know, um, an 85 pound uh, box of the Will Durant story of civilization he says, uh, Jesus Christ or Genghis Khan, whoever has the power wins. And if Jesus's message of words is powerful enough to overcome Genghis Khan's message of, of murder and mayhem, then that's great. I mean, while uh, might certainly doesn't make right, right without might assures the success 
of those who are opposed to right. He said it a little better than I just did. Well, no, no but on a, on a rose scale, you, you, that was up there with your, <laughs> some of your better material. But, uh, anyway, you're not gonna, we're not going to do an on-air exam on the, uh, on the 47 volumes of the <laughs> Will Durant story civilization. Now, look, look, uh, I, I just, I mean, this is um, something that I think uh, is, and obviously I'm in Israel, so we're focused on, on uh, developments here that are heating up. Uh, but when we go back to Georgia, very large Fannie Willis or large Fannie Willis or fat Fannie Willis, talk about desperate. This woman actually needs to pay somebody $650,000 to date her. <laughs> the sheer rank stupidity. I, I, I mean, did they think they would get away with this? Of course they thought they would get away with it. They get away with much worse. Why not this? For folks who. I don't think, I don't think, it, will, I don't think it will stop her case, Tom. Oh, come I, on. I don't think it will have any impact at all at the end of the day, other than if the cases go on up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court. How says, is she not conflicted yeah. out of this? She brought in her because lover. That takes, who, that, go ahead. Who's going to put her? Who's going to bring the charges? It's it's in Atlanta. They own everything, Tom. They own all. And when they're in charge, there's nobody that goes, well, I may be a Democrat, but I had to approach this with an open mind. And when I did that, it's clear to me that she violated this ethical. They're, none of them are going to do that. None of them. It would end any hope they had of a political career. They are all in. We keep taking this analysis of what would happen in normal times. They will attempt to put him in jail, Trump who has not violated the law and they will completely ignore the violation of the law by their people because law is just another weapon in the repertoire of weapons. Well, I just, just to back up and to give folks who uh, might have other things to do with their life than focus on uh, the numerous legal cases that are being thrown against former president Trump, the district attorney in Atlanta, who brought these uh, January 6th charges together with Jack Smith, hires as a special prosecutor her lover, who's engaged in a nasty divorce, a man who's never tried a felony case, never tried a criminal face, case. She's paid him, through taxpayer money, $650,000 since February of last year to... Um, uh, argue this extremely complex, highly partisan RICO case against a former president of the United States together with, I think it's 18 other co-defendants. He's never tried a, a, a felony case. Now, this is where, I, you know, I don't know how it goes, but according to his billing records, he spent eight hours in the White House counsel's office at the White House in Washington colluding just two days before uh, very large Fannie Willis uh, got her indictment from the grand jury. She, can't you argue? I mean, it seems to me quite clear she has a financial incentive to keep this case going because the six hundred and fifty grand in taxpayer money that she used to hire her boyfriend, he ended up kicking back to her in the form of jewelry, expensive vacations, restaurants, a high lifestyle. I, I just, what world do these people live in? They live in the the world that that the left lives in when it gets up every morning. 
knowing that every institution of American life will cover for them, make excuses for them, because they are about a noble purpose. They are following the arc of history. They are the people that bring progress. They're the only thing standing between the end of our democracy and freedom. I mean, Tom, the, every day, things that would completely destroy a Republican presidency, even a, even a regular Republican presidency, an establishment Republican presidency, is, is of no account when it comes to the battle we are in now. Imagine a Republican administration where the Secretary of Defense pulled the crap that our Secretary of Defense uh, pulled in, in the last uh, uh, 10 days. And that the White House got away with the explanations that they got away with uh, over this period of time. I mean, it, 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 would, be, it would be nonstop outrage. So I, guess I can go on and on and on about this. Look, one of the things they've already accomplished with January 6th is our people now are scared to death to go to a demonstration. So they've taken it off, they've taken it off the, the playing field. You know, I could go to a demonstration. I, you, what, what if something happens during the demonstration? I'll, I'll lose my job. I, I could have my bank account frozen. My kid might not be able to get into a college. Can you imagine, Tom, if the state of Tennessee and the state of, let's say, Utah had on some technicality announced that they were taking Biden off of the ballot in the upcoming presidential election? How large do you think the left-wing mob would be outside whatever entity in those states made that decision? You, do, you would have to bring out the National Guard. And if you drove them away from being outside the legislature or outside the state Supreme Court, you'd have to then drive them away from being outside the homes of the judges or the legislature's that made these decisions. When they did that to us, nothing happened in Colorado. Nothing happened in Maine. Our people are huddled in their homes, afraid to make one misstep. So point by point by point by point, they are narrowing where we can operate with the ultimate goal of making us disappear as a force in America that has to be dealt with. And it's half the country. So, you know, we will see some people that's half the country make their separate pieces. They'll go, well, wow, I, man, that's, this is terrible, but this is the way it is. So I got to play the game. I got to go along to get along. Um, you know, I just hope they don't, they don't turn their attention to me. Yeah, well, if I and I and the Republicans are sitting here not realizing no, their right. own voters are being demonized, are being marginalized, are being frightened, are being bankrupted. And we're so, uh, we, we can't we can't shut the government down. That'll really backfire against us. Oh, my God. There's no words. I, I just don't. I mean, you think about our our 
triumvirate at the top of the Senate, Mitch McConnell, John Thune, and John Cornyn. Uh, they're the ones who apparently, if, if media is to be believed, are behind all these efforts, A, to push Mike Johnson to agree to uh, continuing resolution, providing funding forever ad infinitum, as this week we crossed $34 trillion. I mean, these numbers don't even mean anything at this point. $34 trillion in debt. And they're feverishly negotiating for some kind of a border solution, which, of course, is no solution whatsoever. The very same week that we have the big story from Brooklyn of illegals now throwing American kids out of their own schools. The Democrats yep. have now opened up. Have, they are rapidly turning the entire country into a refugee camp. This high school in Brooklyn informs parents that their kids uh, no more in-person teaching. They're going to be um, uh, given Zoom options because their school's been turned in to a refugee camp. So now we have 4,000 kids in Brooklyn who aren't um, uh, troubled enough having to grow up in that environment, being displaced on behalf of, what is it, 1,500 uh, illegal immigrants, lawbreakers, And this has been going on for almost a year in New York City. Starting last spring, city officials started using school gymnasiums to house these illegals. And that promoted all kinds of uh, prompted all kinds of safety concerns from uh, parents about these unvetted uh, people, almost all of whom are single males, uh, literally living in the gymnasiums of these schools. Uh, Yet. You know, we congrat- they congratulate themselves, and Republicans do as well, about uh, all the efforts they've taken to protect these migrants, quote-unquote migrants, uh, to keep them dry and to keep them safe. I, I didn't see it last night. Did you watch the, the, uh, the uh, DeSantis-Haley uh, debate? I'm getting... I, I did, and I watched the, the Trump, Trump Town Hall. Hall. He looked I very thought, good. I thought he sounded I very good. I thought he was fantastic. Um, I... Uh, no, I, I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't watch DeSantis uh, uh, and and Nikki Haley. The, you know, I've read a bunch of things about it. I've seen clips from it. Uh, you know, they're they're always talking about. You know, Trump is always so nasty, and we need somebody that's she just not terrible. all this drama about. To watch DeSantis and Haley spending most of the night pointing their finger at each other, saying "liar," "double liar," "triple liar," uh, really. <laughs> no, and, I, and, I, you know, and even worse, uh, even worse was Nikki Haley said, uh, look, um, uh, I, I'm no drama guy. I'm no drama lady. You know, when when, when I'm elected president, the, the drama is going to end. Why in Hades does she think there's drama when Donald Trump was president? Why was there drama when George W. Bush was president? Because when we get in. And try to do something to stop what they're doing to the country, they go bat crap crazy. And you get drama. And the media creates drama. So if the go if the if the standard we're now gonna uh, hold ourselves to is that you have to act like the typical Republican senator, flatline, no matter what's going on, uh, well then we'll again, we'll never get the presidency back, or if we do, it won't matter. I when you cited the the, the top three Republicans, Tom, the, those three senators are all states that vote reliably. Solid presidential. Exactly elections. right. They ought to be the toughest senators in the Senate. 
Look, look, you know, I hope, and I watched a bunch of clips and I've read a couple of uh, columns about the debate. I didn't see it uh, live. I think the more airtime Nikki Haley gets, the better. Because there's nothing there. DeSantis is a solid conservative who's got a terrific record, who's unapologetic, who understands policy, who is unflappable. I get it. He's not going to be the nominee, which is fine. Uh, I, you know, Donald Trump is our guy, and that's terrific. Uh, but I don't think there's any comparison between the two of them as strong conservatives. She's rollable. She easily succumbs to pressure. She works on behalf of her donors. She's all over the map. She flips and she flops. There's not much substance there. And the fact that the Republican establishment has committed to her an unlimited source of funds to go after, not, not the Democrat, not Joe Biden, but to go after Donald Trump speaks volumes about the disconnect, the distance between the Republican, so their so-called Republican establishment and Republican voters. You know, she has spent $68 million, Tom. And that's probably not counting uh, money that's been spent by uh, auxiliary groups uh, on her behalf that she doesn't have to report on her on her reports to the to the FEC. You know, and, and in some ways, Tom, this it's not that surprising because over the years, I mean, and this goes back all the way into the you know, the years leading up, for example, when when the big battle was between the Reagan wing, wing of the party and the Bush wing of the party at the at the state level, you would have these state Republican parties that were controlled by the, the party establishment. And eventually in states, various states, the grassroots voter would get just get sick and tired of it. And so somebody would start leading them. They would, you know, they would start getting elected to different positions. There'd be a state convention and the insurgent conservative base would take over the party. You know what the first thing that would happen when that would happen? The funding base of the party in that state would immediately withdraw their financial support of the Republican Party. So for years, the financial interests controlled that state's Republican Party And all the good little conservatives were patted on the head and said, well, you may not agree with us on anything and everything, but we won fair and square. So you have to vote for us. That turns around the other way. The money leaves. The next stories you see is, well, the uh, Michigan, the Michigan Republican Party is on the verge of declaring bankruptcy. The radicals who've taken it over have ruined its finances. And then the establishment comes back and takes it again. Can we switch gears a little bit? Yes. I don't think that my prediction, as we're in the second week of 2024, that a larger war in the Middle East this year is a stretch. Anthony Blinken, our Secretary of State, has been in the region for a week. He's pushing two things. First of all, the Houthis, the, the gang of, of, of terrorist thugs that, that control a part of Yemen, supplied heavily by Iran, who fired 21 drones, missiles, and artillery at U.S. ships, 21, I think it was on Wednesday, 
Well, Anthony Blinken uh, responded by calling these tac- attacks unlawful and unhelpful. Now, at some and he po- said, and let me just jump through in. And he said, r- real people are being hurt. <laughs> Look, it sounds like somebody running a Ferris wheel. I, it, like it's stuck. You know? the, the whole thing is so beyond belief. The irony here, and we can get into this, um, is that our desperate attempt to avoid escalation, which the White House repeats ad nauseum, is simply an invitation. It's a message to Iran that they have an impunity to act however they want. Now, the second message this guy has focused on obsessively all week, is the two-state solution. A two-state solution dividing Israel into a state for the Jews and a Palestinian state for the terrorists. That is now the top goal of the Biden administration uh, and, of course, the media that comes after him. Look, Hamas understands what they're fighting for. I don't think many of us do. Um, start with their own side. Shannon Bream, lovely woman, Fox News, says on national television on Sunday, quote, that most Palestinians don't support Hamas. Where does she get that? The idea that the values of Hamas are somehow different from the values and objectives of the Palestinian Authority is, is utter fantasy. There's no difference. They both have the same goal. They both have the same objective. Um, and any notion that the rule of one is different than the rule of other is, is, is totally delusional. These monsters that invaded Israel on, on 10-7 and those who sent them, I think they understand the West a lot better than we understand ourselves. This two-state solution, it's a total myth. It's a total lie. It's been bandied about for 50 years. It defies history. It defies geography. And it defies reality. And the dec- the more we double down on this, the decades we've used to try to implement it have only made matters worse because the issue is coexistence. It isn't territory. It isn't geography. It isn't that Israelis and Palestinians can't agree on borders. Um, and no matter how hard we push this, each time we do, the violence gets worse. I, I-, I just, I-, I don't know. It seems like, the Biden administration and the rest of, you know, the peace process industry in Washington um, can only bring themselves to uh, stick with their message of removing Hamas if they somehow uh, can add to it, replacing them with the terror brothers in the Palestinian Authority. The Palestinian Authority hasn't even condemned 10-7 yet. I'll shut up and let you go. Yeah, well, you know, Tom, uh, when George Bush... Uh, won the presidency um, uh, under the influence, although I don't think it took the influence, under the influence of uh, J- James James Baker uh, and, and others in the Republican establishment, uh, Bush was planning a major speech uh, early in the administration where he was going to uh, announce uh, officially that uh, our foreign policy position in the Middle East would be the two-state solution. You know, pre- in previous years, various Democrat presidents floated those tr- that trial balloon, and we we kicked a you know what out of them for it. Uh, so this was going to be big that the Republican Party now and a Republican president was going to embrace 
the two-state solution. Then a little complication happened called 9-11. Before that, can I interject just one second? Before and that, his mother, Barbara sure. Bush, kept calling George W., the son, saying, are you the prime minister of Israel or are you the president of the United States? Whose side are you on? I mean, so this is a multi-generational thing on the part of the Bushes. Go ahead. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so they, they, you know, they obviously canceled the speech because the, the horror of what we saw uh, was was so overwhelming that and and the people that did this to us were the same type of people that we were going to give a state to as if the 48 states that are majority Muslim in the world was not enough. You know, we got to carve out part of the state of Israel, the only single Jewish nation in the world to, to set up yet another something to stand. Um, but but even though he gave up temporarily on the speech, it didn't stop the mindset. Now, George W. Bush did some good things in those initial yes, weeks. He yes, he did. You know, going to New York with the bullhorn and so forth. But he also was doing some terrible things at the same time. He, he was being told, or maybe it was his own impulse, that it was very important after radical Muslims attacked us, that he as president needed to go to a mosque here in Washington, D.C., and assure the Muslims at that mosque that we were not at war with them. Now, in my view, after radical Islamists killed 3,000 of us, Islamic leaders in the United States should have been asking how they could go to the local church and assure Christians that the Muslim world was not at war with them. But no, in the, in the wake of that horrible attack, Bush felt it would be, it had to be the other way around. At the same time, he was getting advice from a variety of some people, good, some good conservatives. Well, what, what should I do to make the American Islamic community uh, feel okay about everything? And he was told, you need to bring leaders into the White House. Start meeting with them. The Bush White House invited into the White, into the White House, Tom, some really disgusting people. Many of whom are still there. Many invited. of whom are still there to this day. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. I, I, there's an infamous story that the FBI, when they used to be fully on our side, uh, knocked on the door. They didn't break the door down. They knocked on the door of some home in Seattle, Washington. And when the uh, Muslim uh, woman of the house came to the front door, they said, uh, hi, we're from the FBI. We'd like uh, uh, to have a little time to speak to your husband about some of his activities in recent months. And she looked at them and said, um, well, I'm really sorry. Uh, he's in Washington, D.C. today. Really? Well, what's he doing in Washington, D.C.? Well, President Bush invited him to the White House with other uh, Muslim American leaders to discuss American strategy in the war on terror. Oh, whoa, thank you very much. And they flew back to Washington, D.C. I, I, you know, and of course, every 
Republican president now. Trump didn't do it, but, you know, CARE, uh, this radical Islamic group, has now gotten full uh, respectability, and they were being invited to the White House, uh, the Biden White House, a couple of years ago uh, to meetings about how to fight anti-Semitism in America. This, and uh, CARE was one of the groups at the table. And the leader of CARE, uh, uh, Niwad Awad, or whatever his name is, something similar to that, congratulated Hamas immediately after 10-7. Congratulated them. Yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, imagine, after Pearl Harbor, uh, the President Roosevelt picking up the phone to call Harry Hopkins. Look, Harry, the Japanese have just bombed us. Go order some sushi, uh, pick up some tickets for Madam Butterfly, and make sure you have a nice bottle of sake in the White House. I mean, do something. It's just this. It's uh, look, I'll say this and, and, and we're getting off track. I think there is uh, um, I think this administration is leading Israel to uh, uh, a fateful decision, which is that uh, a war in Lebanon with Hezbollah is inevitable what Blinken doesn't seem to get, I don't know whether they don't get it or whether they don't want to get it, there can't be any peace until the situation on the ground changes. 10-7 was an earthquake. 80,000 Israelis have been forced to leave their homes in the north, many towns, many communities in the south near Gaza as well. The idea that you can just negotiate an acceptable outcome without changing the military situation on the ground, is nonsense. A, because none of these people are going to go back home until something happens to Hezbollah. And B, continuing to argue that there has to be a diplomatic solution. You mentioned George W. Bush, Condoleezza Rice. Now she's the uh, provost, I guess, at the Hoover Institute at Stanford. Lovely lady. She's the lady that pushed elections in Gaza in 2006 She's the lady who ended the war. We talked about who won, right? <laughs> exactly. And she was stunned that Hamas won. She's the lady that pressured Israel to stop its initial uh, war against Hezbollah after all kinds of provocations in 2006 with this UN resolution 1701, which was a total joke that, you know, that, that we would have accepted or expected diplomacy to have moved uh, Hezbollah beyond, you know, past inside Lebanon, that the, the border would be um, demilitarized. And she's the woman who encouraged President Bush to accept this North Korean offer to, to have nukes. The, the problem is there's inevitably going to have to be a showdown, at which the U.S. could have, I'm not saying prevented per se, but could have encouraged the very diplomatic process they're now pushing so hard if they pressured Iran in any way. Of course, I don't know whether it made news back there, but immediately after the war, Biden um, and the U.S. sent two carrier task groups here to the Middle East, one to the Mediterranean, one to the Red Sea. Well, the USS Ford, the newest carrier, has now been... Back uh, to home. Yep. Back home. Yep. I, I, look, I, I... Yeah, you know, uh, you know, Tom, the... The, on on your first point that it it's clear, but I don't think it's clear to the average American that that the Biden administration is trying to handcuff Israel. They want this over. 
They want it over as soon as possible because they don't want it to interfere with Biden's reelection. All it does is assure a greater war. Right. I know that. But these are these are, you know, stupid people. Um, So they, they want Israel to stop. And it it makes sense to the people in our government urging Israel to stop because our government's diplomatic uh, elites and unfortunately our military elites have long ago dropped the idea of finishing strong. We get into wars and then we finish weak. We, we finish without closing the deal. We commit the sons and daughters of American families to be in harm's way and then we don't accomplish what we sent them into harm's way for. And so we now are sitting around scratching our heads about why we can't meet our recruiting goals. Well, there's a lot of reasons, unfortunately, uh, about what's going on with young Americans. But part of it is, you know, you, you can't say join the U.S. military. We never lose a war. Well, no, you can't say that anymore. We tie a bunch of wars. And for us, that's the same as losing because it tells our enemies you just got to hang on. You just got to hang on. Ultimately, you'll get what you want. The, 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 the Taliban got what they wanted in Afghanistan. The communists got what they wanted in Vietnam. You, you know, you just go on and on and on. We don't win because to win means, as it's always meant historically, that you have to make your enemy lack all hope. And that means you got to kill a whole bunch of people quickly. And that actually is merciful because it saves lives and it ultimately means the good good guys win. So, of course, we're seeing escalation. We're witnessing now the implementation. Qasem Soleimani, who was killed three years ago by President Trump, the leader of the IRGC, killed three years ago. His strategy is still in play, and that is this so-called ring of fire to surround Israel with these proxy armies, and Israel now faces a forefront war. It's fighting in Gaza. It's fighting uh, in the north in Hezbollah. We've now got these Houthis and Iran itself. Central to this goal is to push the U.S. out. So, of course, we're seeing escalation. And even at some point, I don't know when, but Tony Blinken is going to have to see this. At some point... We are not going to have a choice. Every time we respond to any of their provocations with a plea for non-escalation, it just gives Iran permission to escalate. That's all that Iran seeks. Our messages that we won't escalate will absolutely lead to far more deadly escalation. I don't understand how they don't see that. These 21 missiles fired at U.S. and allied vessels in the Red Sea on uh, Tuesday night and Wednesday morning. One of these days, Gary, one of these missiles is going to get through. And you're going to see, God forbid, God forbid, a lot of dead sailors. Uh, Yeah, well, absolutely. And, uh, you you know, the administration spent a good bit of the last week uh, covering up the health condition of the Secretary of Defense. They spent more time on that stuff than they do on anything else. We're, we're getting close to running out of time, Tom. And of course, there'll be a lag between as we're having this conversation and our vast listening audience hears it. But as we're talking, news is breaking 
that not Houthis, but men in military uniforms have seized an oil tanker. And the report is it was done by uh, Iranian military forces. So yesterday, the day before we are having this conversation, is when Blinken was saying this idiotic stuff about, you know, this is really bad. Real people are being hurt by this. This cannot go on. We don't seek war, but we certainly can't allow. I mean, it's just it's it's just it's ridiculous. It is not worthy of a great nation to have leaders like this. And now we've got, as you said, an immediate escalation by Iran in the wake of this ridiculous statement by Blinken. Also looking at, you know, a a president that doesn't look like he knows where he is, a deeply divided country. The guy they really fear, Donald Trump, may be on his way to jail or may be on his way to something even worse, God forbid. Uh, our, Our enemies are licking their chops and the Republican establishment is sitting around uh, sucking on their thumbs. It's um, uh, former Vice President Pence was was uh, in town, was here uh, last week, and um, I spent a good bit of the time with him, most of it. And we had some excellent conversations, very interesting conversations. Uh, the prime minister uh, says it better than anyone. Uh, we might not want war. But that doesn't mean war doesn't want us. And I thought he made a fabulous observation that many Americans, myself included, have missed. Why was there this attack, this orchestrated attack by these Hamas lackeys in America on symbols of Christmas? What is the what is the debate? What's the dispute? They're allegedly protesting for Muslim uh, people in Gaza who are now fighting a war against Jews in Israel. Why would these people target Christmas trees? Why would they target Rockefeller Center? Why would they target Christmas concerts at Carnegie Hall or in Pittsburgh? This happened all over the country. And his question was, where's the media? Isn't it obvious what's going on? This isn't, it really is a war against Christians and Jews and anyone else that stands for Western civilization. I mean, don't forget for all this talk about a two-state solution that would hand over Gaza from one Islamist terrorist army committed to the destruction of the state of Israel and the murder of all the Jews to another terrorist army that's uh, equally committed to the destruction of the state of Israel. Don't forget, it's the PA, it's the Palestinian Authority that Joe Biden now thinks is the answer to this problem, that, that, um, that pays the Hamas terrorists and their families. So an event, actually, it even gets worse, we pay the PA. Donald Trump, President right. Trump, to his credit, cut off funding for pay to slay. There was a, an, an act of Congress, the Taylor Swift Act. We cut it off. Biden, his first week in office, resumed it. So we're paying the Palestinian Authority to pay Hamas to pay terrorists and their families for killing Jews. Yeah, no, I, I know, Tom. I, it's... Um I mean, we could, there's so many other things we can get I into, know. you know, about we're, we're really stretched thin. We're, we're running out of various weapons. You, you know, we, we've been facing these issues with drones for years now. 
Of course, the United States being the United States, when we realized drones could be used as uh, weapons of war, we start building $20 million drones, <laughs> right? They can do everything, including make you dinner. The, our enemies make you know drones for $9.99, and they send a 1,000 of them at the targets. So some bright light went off at the Pentagon. Oh, gee, maybe we should look at making a lot of little drones instead of this. So they've started a drone program. Big article in the paper just a week or so ago. The drone program at the White House, it's been told, crash program. You've got to solve this in the next 18 months to 24 months. we got to start manufacturing stuff in complete disarray. They don't know where to turn. They don't know who's in charge. I saw some guy interviewed on TV yesterday on CNBC saying, uh, there's dozens of drone companies all over America. We know how to make the smaller drones that can be slightly moderated to uh, you know, to be used in, in these kinds of situations. Nobody's even calling us. No, because the Pentagon is going to build it, you know, on their own again. Give it to Lockheed Martin. Give it to, you know, one of the big companies that's throwing their money all over the place. It, on every count, we we have made mistake after mistake after mistake. Yeah, look, I, I'll mention this in passing. It, it's I just saw a report today in one of the military-oriented uh, newsletters that the big drop in recruiting in the last five years is among white Americans. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. The, the, the almost totally, the drop-off is thousands of fewer white men and women volunteering for the U.S. Armed Forces. Well, why would that be? Could it be that every time you turn around, you're being called a racist? The heroes that you were taught in school were great men are now being called monsters, that you're a white supremacist if you're proud of who you are, that there's something wrong with you if you love Jesus and love America, because that means you're a Christian nationalist. Or you open up the paper the last several years and you read that there's a serious problem in the armed forces with radicalism and it's got to be rooted out. Yeah, be on the lookout for people that go to websites that have the name Patriot in their title. Oh, geez. So we don't want Patriots now in the armed forces. Tom, this country's on the ropes. And one of the two great American parties wants it to go faster, faster and faster right out of the ring. And the other party is still saying, uh, is it 1950 yet again? Can't we get back to 1950? The civilization that feels guilty for everything it does, everything it is, is obviously going to lack the energy and the conviction necessary to defend itself. I mean, the more our enemies step on our toes, it seems like the left, which is now the establishment, uh, keeps asking them, can we have another dance? Can we dance again now that you've smashed our toes? It's the whole thing is uh, it's too depressing for words. And it's a good thing because we're out of time. Yeah, yeah, it is. We're out of time and America could be out of time. And by the way, you were right about up. you were right about Michigan. I, uh, you know, I'm not happy about it, but they this was their year. They were just they were absolutely uh, the best team in the country. No, 
and I. Zach and I uh, did a uh, uh, sort of semi-spontaneous trip to Kentucky and saw Kentucky play uh, uh, a basketball game the other night uh, against uh, Missouri uh, in Rupp Arena. And uh, I haven't been back in Kentucky for a while, Tom, but it reminded me every, every Republican leader ought to be required regularly to go to places like Kentucky and Tennessee and Arkansas and go through these working class neighborhoods and see the American flags flying outside modest homes, see people belting out the national anthem, nobody kneeling. If you knelt in Rupp Arena, you wouldn't get out of there alive. <laughs> uh, and and we, we sit in here and do, oh, well, Kaepernick has the freedom of speech. You know, we don't want to look like we're discriminating. Uh, the whole thing but is anyway. Kentucky won. We're we're, yeah, we're up we're up to no, number six. I know the they're nation. they're. I mean, if Calipari can actually keep any of these kids, I mean, first of all, they might win this year. But if he could ever hold any of these kids beyond a year, that would be. Uh, well, it'd be One worse. It'd be worse for the rest of us. I stayed. Right. It'd be worse for the rest of us because uh, I hate to break it to you, Bauer, but the country doesn't like Kentucky basketball. They just don't. Who doesn't? The country. Well, America, like good people. Wait a minute, I thought I thought the Kentucky Wildcats were America's team. <laughs> okay. okay, on that note, oh, wait a minute. that's Dallas. I was going to say, on that note, if we don't get canceled, then we can say whatever the heck we want in weeks to come, because that was the most outrageous comment in the history of the Bauer and Rose show. As we, so we've signed off. Have we signed off? Well, no, we haven't signed off. We haven't signed off to say have a terrific week. God bless you. God bless your families. God bless our troops. Uh, God bless America. And uh, God's going to be awful busy blessing all those things. He doesn't need to worry about the Kentucky Wildcats. And what he said, everybody, I agree. (laughs) 